prime. horror films and other pulp fiction. Today we take a break from the horror and thriller genre and travel to the Wild West with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid tells the story of outlaws doing outlaw things with a bit of whimsy thrown into the mix. With me to talk about it, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Steve, would Heather consider this a sweaty movie? I believe she does consider it a sweaty movie, but upon rewatch, I would I think it would be more like sweaty in spirit. So, for the uninitiated, what what is the criteria for a sweaty movie? So, I mean, sweat is one of them. Like, it's a pretty big criteria. Um, <laughs> like the actors are sweaty, right? Not yeah, like not they're the trying film. too hard, right? Right, and it's not like the actual. Uh, like film reel itself is mm-hmm. moist. Um, it has to do with the way I think she describes it is a it's a time period in in cinema where she she perceives it as makeup artists weren't as well trained as maybe they are now, and uh, the lighting people maybe were too aggressive, uh-huh. creating an environment of of, of sweat. So like there's a there's a big hot spotlight right in someone's face. They're sweating through their makeup. Yeah, that kind of. I think that's kind of what she would say is is a sweaty movie. So it's like not sweaty because they're like, oh, these guys are supposed to sweat because like it's Rocky. Like Rocky's sweaty because he's training so much as it is like Rocky might be sweaty uh, when he's eating a sandwich. <laughs> so like if you were gonna rub up against Stallone during that sequence, he'd be all slippery. Right. But if you were to rub up against like Paul Newman during Cool Hand Luke, it'd be like, What is this yeah. gunk all over me? I mean he's I just feel yeah. like I'm full he, of clay now. Right. I think and I think that's what it is. It's like there's obvious sweat that you can see, but then there's the sweat that is like building up and so it, it creating yeah, creating a clay, creating sort of a a, uh, a moistened topsoil. <laughs> I want you to know this is probably my favorite era of movie making. The, sw- the sweatier, the better for you. For me, I I can't get enough sweaty sweaty actors in my movies. And in, in in many ways, that may like the sweat situation, the situation of, of discomfort that they may be going through and having to act through, maybe is the uh, acting fuel that uh performers needed at this time frame so like so for you you're like i'm getting the best out of paul newman Mm -hmm. um because of the worst that's happening to him (laughs) uh yeah how do you feel about paul newman generally so my relationship with paul newman is a complicated one um and this movie also is a complicated uh have a complicated relationship with because it's almost impossible for me to divorce paul newman and or Robert Redford from my mom's clear, like, horned-up position on these uh, <laughs> these two. Well, so, look, in fairness to your mom, there was an entire generation of women globally who were horned up for this. And let's be honest, a fair amount of men, too. Sure. I'm not picky. As long as she's smart. 
sweet. Gentle and tender and refined and lovely. No, this, I mean, anytime Paul Newman and Redford were on the screen together, uh, menopause would be reversed and, you know, closeted uh, Republican senators were born. <laughs> I, all right, I love Paul Newman. I think he's fantastic. Uh, I, I do love Cool Hand Luke. I love The Hustler. I even like old Paul Newman, uh, Color of Money. <laughs> Right. Uh, I, I'm just nobody's I'm, fool. No, haven't seen it. Haven't seen it in a while. Probably have. Have I ever seen it? I don't know. But if it's got Paul Newman, I'm probably interested. Right. Um. And I think it's because of this movie. I think. Oh, really? This is this launched your yeah Paul appreciation. yeah absolutely. I feel like I'm not a huge fan of like the uh, the Sting because mm. I watched it as a kid and I never really understood what was happening. Like, they conned me into thinking it was a good movie. <laughs> Interesting that you wouldn't revisit it, considering all the Sting DNA in this film. I think I think I have many times. I've been thinking, how can I love Butch Cassidy and not love the Sting? This is clearly my fault. And then I will go back and revisit the Sting, and I'll think, mm, all right, it's fine. It's, it's a right. fine movie. Um but I pr- I probably forgive it because of my love for this movie. I think this movie has been on my top ten list for probably thirty years. Wow! It was on my first top ten list when I was sixteen years old, and it's it's still on my top ten list. So, is this your highest ranking western on this list? Oh, there's no other western on the list. So, absolutely. And I don't. It's odd because. I'm not sure it fits neatly into the genre. Um, It's it's clearly a Western, but it's sort of a genre-busting Western in a lot of ways. Because there's a bicycle? (laughs) And Burt Bacharach. Burt Bacharach, sure. (laughs) And a lot of weird stuff. Let me say, like, we were just covering uh, Stranger Things, right? Yeah. And I was saying, like, Murray's crazy kind of matches the crazy of Hawkins, Indiana. Uh, This movie's a really goofy movie. Right. And it absolutely matches my goofy. Gotcha. So there's, I I realize there's a ton of weird things about this movie that will turn off most people, I think. But I just eat it all up. Like, just give me more. I just want another bicycle sequence to raindrops are falling on my head. I, I give me right. three of those. I, I love it. I, I love the whole thing. I feel like the bicycle sequence to raindrops keep falling on my head might be the inspiration for the fight scene in They Live in terms of, <laughs> should I end it? No, let's keep no, going. No, the song hasn't ended yet. How can you end right. it? Yeah, exactly. So when, by the time that Rowdy Roddy Piper picks up a two-by-four, that's about the moment when the bull starts chasing uh, Paul Newman and Catherine Ross. <laughs> hey, that's a fantastic scene in my mind. And I, I realize I could be the only one that thinks that, but I, w- I will want to talk about that uh, at, at some point. Yeah, and it's, again, and because and I, and I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I know I've seen it more than once. I don't know if I've seen it three times. Uh, Heather did not care for it. She didn't want to watch it. Um, 
I think she found it dull. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately it was, I think ultimately it was sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not the biggest, she's not a, I, I don't know about a bunch of Westerns she's crazy about. I mean, she'll watch a Western and appreciate a Western, but she rarely revisits a Western. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be part of it. So I know I watched it with my mom and I remember my well, mom. this is part of the problem, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, like it's just, you know, like it's almost impossible to watch this movie and not like all of a sudden get a wash with like the smell of like, like lipstick that's a little too old to wear. <laughs> and so it's Oh my god, the, the the sensory experience <laughs> of that metaphor. Just it's crippling. A cha- <laughs> it's, cri- it's crippling. It's so so it's a challenge for me to like fully get engrossed in it. I do li- I mean I I think I I definitely it's nice to watch it now kind of by myself, right? Um without mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom uh, fidgeting and then or or Heather being, you know, sort of clearly disinterested. Um, so so I was I was sort of getting myself ready. Right. Because I because I, cause what I recall from it um, outside of the sense memories and everything is is I remember I definitely remember the bicycle scene. I remember the ending, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the the jump um for yeah because sure. the jump they show like on every like sure film montage the last 50 years montage that kind of right thing. and what i did remember was it being a little goofy like i felt like like there are anachronistic moments that are intentional that um absolutely that goofy this is a goofy right. movie and, and it's and it's funny too because i think at the time i, I can't have a ton of uh, you know, references probably around this time frame because I watched. I mean, don't get me wrong; I've seen a lot of movies in the late '60s, early '70s, but most of those are like really shockingly awkward sci-fi, mm. right? And sure. uh, and so they play it as straight as they can, despite what they're going for. So this, um, interestingly enough, like it's amazing how many things you forgive, say, like about a, a Tarantino when, when music starts to switch up, right? When, especially when, yeah. you know, like when, when you'll get a more modern uh, song in, in like, like in Django, right? Like you mm-hmm. get, it, it doesn't match because like everything else is, is a score and then all of a sudden you'll get, um, you know, you'll get other songs that sort of feel like out of place, but it works with what he's trying to do. So this feels like an, like, a same type of approach, but I don't, I'm curious how people, what people thought. And I think some of the early reviews of this weren't great. Cause I think, yeah, was no, a, were... I think you're right. I, I read some of the early reviews on this and I think a lot of those early reviews hold up despite the fact that it's now become the sort of this iconic film. Right. I feel like, yes, of course it's anachronistic. The music is really goofy. Um, all this stuff about this sort of being like a, an episode of Batman and Robin that could also be applied. I don't think that those early reviewers were wrong. They just, I, I think that they missed the brilliance of it and they were just focused on the goofiness. Right. Um, and I, and I love that you bring in Tarantino here because this, this viewing of it for me, I thought, Oh, this is uh this has got a lot of once upon a time in Hollywood, mm. or I should, I should say, that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has a lot of DNA from this movie. You know, the aging, tough guys, the landscape being a huge part of the movie. But also there's that scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when the director comes in DiCaprio's trailer and he says, 
I want you to be like more of a hippie. And so they decide to like, you know, give him a big Zapato mustache and, and uh, you know, a fringe on his leather jacket. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what's happening in this movie. They're, what they're doing is they're intentionally merging 1969 and 1889. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a conscious decision to do it. And of course, that is going to be jarring. So if you don't like and that, I could see you sticking on the movie for sure. Yeah, and I think also there's something to be said for this is a movie that probably is almost, whether they knew it or not, I mean, it feels designed to appreciate later. Uh, because mm. there wasn't a lot of that happening maybe at the time, you know, cinematically. So the idea of, because I mean, yeah, in especially 1969 Hollywood, I'm sure like, I mean, Westerns are pretty straightforward, right? For the most part. I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, it is to say that they're not going to be good, but it feels like if there was ever going to be a genre that probably played to formula, it might be mm-hmm. the Western. So to do something different, they're they're anti heroes. You're clearly they're clearly they're outlaws, but they're also the heroes of the movie. But there's an irreverence yeah. about their about their behavior um, that not only is it irreverent in the context of the world that they occupy, but it's an irreverence towards the genre. Perfectly said. But it's but it but it still plays itself as a western. That's right. Well, you know, you the classic Western has a clear good guy and a clear bad guy. It's usually a story of a town being bullied uh, by people who don't care about the law. And then you get a quiet but deadly guy who will step into the picture and bring justice, right? right. And it might be frontier justice, but it's going to be justice, and the good guy is going to win in the end. And in a way, you could say that that happens in this movie. Right. The difference is that you've fallen in love with the bad guys. Right. Um, And and you're right. Totally irreverent for the form. They don't care about the classic score. They brought in Burt Baccarat to do the score in an intentional move to bring this into 1969. So and I love the period, and so there's a lot about that that I, I'm going to like anyway. But you're totally right. They're almost giving a, a middle finger to the to the genre entirely. Right. You got an elevator pitch for this movie, Steve? You like handsome? <laughs> that's perfect. It's a per- that's a per- <laughs> that's I think that's your best yet. <laughs> that's what this movie is it's like these guys the, the plot's not important the, you know who cares if it, you know the the music's not that important right the handsome is off the charts and it's yeah. gonna carry everything else yeah, exactly. that happens in this movie <laughs> i mean it's like there there's two colors in this movie there's like sepia tone and then there's baby blues <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I watched this movie. I asked Sarah, I said, do you, how many times do you think I've watched this? And she said, well, probably over 20. She's like, I've watched this movie at least a dozen. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I think she's over it. Uh, I don't know why I, I never remember that they start this movie with that old-timey silent film. Oh, yeah replay and it's kind of like 
the screen's off to an angle in a weird way. Right, right. To kind of show you, like, okay, you're sitting in an old-timey silent movie, but, like, you've got bad seats. Um, Really weird way to start the movie. I don't know why I never remember that it starts this way. Yeah, and is that, like, to try to create, sort of playing with the, the idea of the legend of these two? So, like, you're seeing it in sort of what you would see, like, old-timey footage or... um Mm-hmm. It creates a, a sort of a fictional backdrop for what you're about to see, right? So it almost it almost makes the whole thing feel like if this is not uh, the actual events, right? Like this is truly a dramatization. It's weird. How many times have we seen at the beginning of a film, sort of like a not even a like a Star Wars scroll, but just sort of a black screen with white text? Yeah. You know, give you the historical backdrop. In 1883, war with Spain. You know, something like that that would give you sort of a framework. Right. I've never seen anyone do this before. It's like it's not even like a conscious homage to a previous film. They actually show scenes from the previous film off at an angle, almost like a skew. Like, let's remind you that this was once a film, but this is going to be a much different angle on this. Right. Almost intentionally, right? The angle, because it's at an angle. So it's almost as if. When you said skew, I think that was kind of a nice way to put it too, because this is sort of a skewed look at uh, at the legend of these of these two outlaws, mm-hmm. which I think I think might answer our "Who is this movie for?" question. I think that this movie is specifically for people who are fluent in the language of old film and the old western in particular. I think this is for people who are going to appreciate that this is sort of a new take on an old form. Because I don't think it's necessarily for people who just like Western movies. Right. In fact, if you were really big on Westerns, you might this might not do it for you. And I think that they, a lot of the early reviews probably bear that out, right? Right. Yeah, because it, it is there are, there are priorities in the film. It feels like, you know, the, the outlaw scenes... For the most part, feel the less or like they're less nuanced, mm-hmm. um, at least early on, uh, than maybe the, some of the later ones. But like especially some of the, just the other sequences, the unique relationship between two men and one woman or one woman. Um, that's kind of an, I mean that's an interesting twist on that. That feels nineteen sixty nine. Yeah, that's right. Should we talk about that now? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. All right, so Etta, Etta is sort of the their partner in crime. Uh, she's portrayed in this film as sort of a a twenty six year old school teacher who is dissatisfied with her life, and I think she's in love with both men. Right, as we all are. <laughs> of course, she would be. Of course, she would be. But it's interesting to me because it's almost like. Both guys know that they're totally inadequate in in one way or another. Like uh, like Paul Newman is giving her all of the emotional and verbal and you know cutesy date energy that she would require. Mm-hmm. And then of course Redford is sort of total sex. He's just he's like sex on two legs, right? right. Sex with piercing blue eyes, <laughs> <laughs> and so. It's like it's almost like she's like I'm gonna need both of you. If you guys are gonna satisfy me, I'm gonna need both of you. Although she she presents herself as this really kind of innocent, demure at times, 
it's it's a goofy it's a weird love triangle for sure how did you take that yeah i think i mean their relationship with her is really an extension of their uh, relationship with each other right i mean they're good outlaws because one is one is the the shooter one is the guy that can right like you know he's (laughs) he's got the gun he's the quiet guy but he's great with the gun he's mm-hmm. absolutely you know if you want if you want action he's your man now if you need a plan if you need to kind of mm-hmm. get people on on board with a plan that might be a little yeah you need a mind you, you're you gonna need, a, need mind. a mind right so yeah a mind a mouth right he's the guy that uh he's a little quirky he's a little eccentric right so mm-hmm. so they're they you know and either one of them without the other becomes a problem right i mean it seems yeah. like it It's like we're watching Cyrano de Bergiac, but the woman is very, very well aware that she's dating both men. Yeah, exactly. And she know, and she'll get what she wants out of each one of them, uh, Uh whenever, right? I mean, it's it's that's so it becomes an interesting threesome in the sense that uh, that yes, Cyrano and the woman are in on it, and they're clear (laughs) about it. It's kind of goofy, and then of course. It really does. We we need to talk about the the this, the whole raindrops interlude here. It's just such a curious move. Every single time I watch it, like I'm I'm enjoying it. It just feels like these two don't have a care in the world, and they're at one point Newman is doing like bicycle tricks. Like I think this is right, the first yeah. time he's been on a bicycle, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah. He's a master at uh, doing bike tricks. <laughs> He's a BMXer. <laughs> uh, it, man, I think it might be the oddest choice in a movie that has a dozen odd choices. Right. Yeah, and then so yeah, you add the music on top of it, and it becomes very whimsical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an extended bit of whimsy, right? I mean, it's and it's like I think it has to be. If it was shorter, it would feel really weird. You know what I mean? And it's like it's it's interesting that it only works because it goes as long as it does. Mm-hmm. Like if it was just a quick little raindrops on a bike, you'd be like, "What? Okay." Well, and they're sharing so much. It's like they're sharing, you know, the the, the laughter over Newman's bike tricks, and then you know she's sort of his audience, and then he backs in and. They're they're running away. They have this little adventure with a bull, right. and the whole thing is done to this goofy 1969 song. But by the end of it, you really believe they're in love, right? Right. You yeah, know, it's they... only a couple minutes long, and that the way that they introduce their relationship is so starkly different than the way that they introduce Edda in the first place. Which we should talk about whether that holds up in today's world. Right. Well, I guess it is uncomfortable early, but then she's in on it, right? So that's well, kind of but it goes, thing. It also goes on a little bit too long. Because if you've never seen this film, because my daughter's 18 years old. She sat down to watch it with us, and she left right before that scene. And I was almost relieved, thinking, oh, good, I, I don't have to sit here and... 90 seconds of discomfort before you realize that this is sort of a role-playing exercise that they they both consent to right but even afterwards my wife was saying yeah it's just a little weird it's a little uncomfortable right right?" but clearly etta enjoys that thing that's kind of her kink 
right? Right, and, I that, that, and that's that feels again a little more. Yeah, that feels a little more also like 1969, right? Like so, there's a little bit more of a, uh, a maybe a flip on the on the notion of of sexuality and power, and um, you know that it's so it's impossible to separate. Like again, if if they're going to insert music and certain mm-hmm. 1969 sensibilities elsewhere, they, I think they do so in the, their relationship with each other. The idea that there's three. Two men and one woman. That's sort of uh, that's different, right? And mm. and it's and it's never really discussed. It's just is. Um, so I think that there's a certain amount of maybe that free love. Uh, oh, this is yes taking Absolutely. taking sec- yeah taking sexual the power of sexuality and sort of flipping it on its on its head a little bit. Um, the especially in a western, right? Because like they're. A lot of times the women are there to sort of help the man, but like maybe like nurse them to health and things like that. But or this be is or or to be rescued, right? Right, right. And and she doesn't really provide either of those things. In fact, she's the one who kind of bails on the relationship on her own. Yeah, that's a that's a really I think that's a really important part of the film. Before we move on from the scene where Ed is introduced, I think if you're watching this for the first time, you are really thinking is this, is he going to rape her? Is that what I'm watching sure. here? Um, it's really presented in that way. And it's a, what it is, it's, I think it's a movie making trick. It's a way to show you think he has all the power, but in reality, she, she has the power in this right. particular way, right? She's, she's actually upset that this didn't happen sooner, right? Right. So, and I think that, I mean, if you're a filmmaker in 1969, I don't think that you know how this is going to play in 2012. Um, so I don't even think that that's on, on his mind. I think more than anything, I think he wants there to be some interesting role reversal to play a trick on the audience. And then I think that it's kind of up to us to decide whether or not this is actually something that can hold up now that we know about what we know about rape culture. Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, that's, there's some problems. There's some problems here, but, uh, I think that they want you to kind of change your mind entirely by the end of that scene. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's intentional, right? Cause I think it's also taking what might be an expected concept of the, the outlaw, you know, takes what he wants, um, right? And and we're dis we're, to some degree they're and they're disarming the the outlaw trope, right? I mean, they're the men are the men are affable. That's specifically said <laughs> to uh, yeah. to Butch. Um, they're they're charming. They're they're not bumbling, but they're not. I mean, it's it's. It's sort of is the sting in the Wild West to some degree. I mean, it has that sort of charm about them. And even Redford being sort of the quiet gunman, which is supposed to be sort of that, you know, like he could be the 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 killer in the black hat kind of guy. Right. Um, but he's, in a way, kind of a dud, you know, in some ways, right? I mean, like, and it's, and it's certainly intentional, right? Like, can't swim. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Um, not real high on Bolivia. He's kind of a sourpuss. 
I mean, I think yeah. that that's, I think, but here's the thing is that it's, but he's, he's not like a sour, he's not a sour puss to the point where like now he's just this, this killer with almost no, mm-hmm. no remorse. I mean, he's, he's just, he's just a sour puss. He's real good with a gun and kind of understands I do his think place. he plays, I think he, even though he's quiet and he's not supposed to be as smart as Butch, I think that there's an unquiet, he, I think he plays this role with a quiet intelligence. Un- because if he doesn't have that, then you don't. You're not entertained by the fact that he's so annoyed, right? Because he's right. smart enough to know you had a great butch. You had this great idea. You promised me it would work. It clearly didn't work, and I can't believe I fell for this again. Like you, mm-hmm. it's like it's it's like Butch is the uh, Lucy with the football, and he's Charlie Brown, <laughs> right? right? Uh, but yeah, but then again, he also presents as this guy who's like. He's perfectly fine to let Butch be the alpha in certain ways, right? right. So it's like he can talk. He, he's the one with the, the mind. He can plan. He He's the talker. And he just expects Butch to do everything right. And when it doesn't go right, he's he's going to complain about it, right? He, yeah, and they don't, you know, and they're not necessarily there to undermine each other. I mean, they're... It, they have a very interesting relationship, but it feels like like their their relationship is, is kind of a fascinating one in the sense that they do tend to have each other's back. They do quibble. I mean, so to the point where it's like, well, that's, is this like the, the most friendship we've seen in a Western, right? I mean, like they, like their, their friendship seems fleshed out in that regard. Like, yeah, no, I mean. It, they're like an old married couple, guy. right? Yeah. You get the sense that they've been doing this for years. And they were, they both understand each other really, really well, right? They play mm-hmm. off each other. Um, yeah, no, this is this is this is one of the best buddy movies in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's sort of not doesn't work in the way a classic buddy movie might. Um, right, we see them as buddies already in progress. And I want to say the way that that scene where they first introduce Sundance. I could watch that scene a hundred times. I love it every time. He's sitting there playing poker. The camera is only focused on his face. You don't see anyone else's face in the room. He gets accused of cheating. They didn't they don't show anyone else's reactions. They show, you know, bodies get up from the table. The camera never moves off but right. uh, Sundance's face. Even when Butch comes in the room. And Newman's got a very watchable face, right? Nope, mm-hmm. they don't show, they don't move the camera at all. They just show, and you you get the sense this guy is a cold blooded killer, and they're about to find out. I can't help you, Sundance. I didn't know you were the Sundance kid when I said you were cheating. If I draw on you, you'll kill me. There's that possibility. Yeah, everyone in the room is about to find right. out just how good this guy is. I just think that the camera work in that scene, and, and that's the, I think that's the part of the film that's still in black and white, right? So you're not necessarily yeah, playing with the baby is. blues at that point. I think it really does give you a sense of how menacing this guy can be. Even and and Butch is kind of like dancing around him, like you know, you're gonna get older. Everyone's gonna get older, right? It's a law. Every, you know, it, can, it happened to me. It can happen to you. And 
He can't, and and Butch can't talk him out of it. It's like he's got murder in his eyes. Uh, I just think he plays that scene perfect. I think that that may be my favorite introduction to a character in all of film. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a, it is a fun choice that they do there, and and how long? Like again, you don't see, you don't even see who he's talking to. You get, you get all of the the typical tension that you would expect in these types of Western films. Like, mm-hmm. They definitely played with a lot of familiar, um, you know, cliches and all that kind of stuff, which is which is cool and. But they and then they soften it a bit, right? Like he doesn't kill the guy on his way out, um, but he certainly sends the message. And so you get a lot of about the two characters in that sequence. Um, you know, without doing heavy exposition, you get you get a real sense of of how Butch Cassidy's operating. Mm-hmm. So that by the time you see him uh, having you know being confronted by uh, you know. The, the possibility that his his leadership is going to be usurped within the gang and the hole in the wall gang, uh, you're already you're, you're kind of waiting to see what he's going to do. Like, what's his thing yeah. going to be? Because you know he's going to be mostly outsmarting, and you know there's a certain you know cockiness that goes with it. So it's like at this point you're kind of all in on the characters. You don't really need to do any more with them uh, to to develop. Well, that's because everything's different now. Guns or knives? It's but... harder now. You got to plan more. You got to prepare more. Guns or knives? Neither. Pick. I don't want to shoot with you, Harvey. Anything you say, Butch. No, no, not yet. Not until me and Harvey get the rules straightened out. Rules? In a knife fight? No rules. Well, if there ain't going to be any rules, let's get the fight started. Someone count one, two, three, go. One, two, three, go. I was really rooting for you, Butch. Well, thank you, flat nose. That's what sustained me in my time of trouble. Yeah, you've introduced both of these characters in very unique ways. In a lot of ways, they're very, they're very much the same person, right? And yet, in right. so in so many of these crucial ways, they're distinctly different personalities, and that and and the camera seems to capture those really well early on in this film. Uh, is this, I, I want to talk a little bit more genre here. I think that if you just watch the first half an hour of this film, you might just think, oh, this is a comedy. This is a right. comedy. It happens to be set in the old West or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's just, there's so, they play so many of these scenes for, it's not just like a few scenes. It's like the first 10 scenes are played for laughs. No, and the, the every robbery is played for laughs. <clears throat> um, you know the 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 poor bank, the guy who's just trying to get these safes from one place to another. Is, oh yeah, uh, he, he Cherylman's guy. He right? just he, yeah, he just keeps on getting cartoon Wood, blown up. Woodcock and, you know. is even a funny name, right? Is exactly. that you, Woodcock? Right. Just the look on Newman's face when he realizes it's his old friend Woodcock. <laughs> you know, is that right. you, Woodcock? And he's like, Butch, believe me, if it was my money, there's no one that I would rather have steal it than you. The whole thing is played for laughs, right? Even even the start right. of the, the chase scene, you know, with with the, the guys on their trail, even the first part of that is played for laughs, you know? They're they're tra- they're hiding out in the brothel and they think it's gonna work and then it doesn't work. And if this movie ends differently, I almost think this is a comedy. Right. Yeah, and so that's another thing about it, right? So it doesn't 
it's it's definitely whimsical it definitely is comedic um but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of quiet time in this film Absolutely. as well um and and it's you know and there's a lot of interesting uh elements of the sort of like you can't like you basically like you know the 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 leopard can't change his spots kind mm-hmm. of thing like they're, they're mm-hmm. outlaws you know they're they're outlaws to their to the end i mean that this is this is uh-huh. what they do um, and you know, the, even their attempt to go straight doesn't last. All right. I want to talk about this one scene with uh, sheriff Bledsoe. I think it's one of the most important scenes of the movie. So they go, they're, they're on the run, right. From the E.H. Harrelman gang, right. You know, they think that LaFours and Lord Baltimore are on their trail and they think they're going to die. They, they're desperate. And they go into this guy's house this Sheriff Bledsoe, played by Jeff Corey. And they're clearly friendly with this guy. And so he's like, at least have the decency to tell me to raise my arms. and Tie me up. Tie me up, Sundance. You know, because he wants to put on the show that, you know, he's being robbed. He doesn't want the town to know that he's friendly with these outlaws. Right. And basically, he tells them how they're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, he basically says, your time is done. I'm sorry. I'm getting mean in my old age, but you chose your path a long time ago, and you're going to die, and you're going to die bloody. That's basically what he says. And right, right there, it's like, that tells you exactly how they're going to end, you know, how this movie's going to end. Um, this guy can see very clearly that the era of the, you know, the, the freewheeling Wild West is over. Uh, you know they're st- they're sitting right on the edge of progress. I think it's sort of, I think it, it works in two ways. I think it does foreshadow the end of their story, but I also think it kind of foreshadows the end of the western as sort of a discernible genre. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say like yeah, the sort of the broad stroke male dominated. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, whether it be sexually, whether it be patriarchy, however it is, the idea of of the man not having to be uh, nuanced anymore is gone. Yeah. Um, and and what's what's fun about it is that they take you know that they they do that with especially with the Paul Newman you know with, with his character with Butch Cassidy they, they they really are exploring that right and so the whole you can make the argument that. Um, that they're 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 uh, at least Butch Cassidy's a little feminized mm-hmm. by uh, you know by comparison um, to other uh, to other outlaws especially yeah and so so that sort of pull it's sort of a push and pull that says okay look we're seeing we see them sort of with their veneer off but but that's all part of the that's all part of the the the, the ruse to some degree like this is this isn't mm-hmm. how it goes anymore and. Um, and this is this is a di- you're a dying breed, cinematically, culturally, uh, we're over right. it. And and I and I because that's I did take that away on on this one that it wasn't so much just yeah outlaw life isn't gonna gonna last much longer, but it's the glorification of that. Yeah, yeah. Your sort of your era, your era of of social dominance is over. I think I think that's probably what's what's yeah, being said. A, a generational cultural shift is is mm-hmm. is taking place, and and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, 
despite what you may be seeing and what their you know what their roles there are in, in this how they function in this Western world is like they're actually they're symbolic of that shift. I think so. I think the other thing the other thing that foreshadows their death is Edda, right? When she decides to go again, it's one of these weird things where Redford is sort of playing this hyper masculine guy, and he says, "Look, you can come along." But the minute you complain, I'm going to drop you flat, right? And mm. she knows it's a game. And she turns it around and says, well, my life sucks. And you guys are exciting, so I'm going to go with you and I'll sell your socks. But I'm not going to watch you die. And um, and then when, so when she decides to go home from Bolivia, immediately it's like she she knows there's there's something about her that knows these guys are never going to change their spots. They 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 can't farm, they can't ranch, they don't know how to do anything but break the law, and I know how this ends. And so as soon as she goes back, they're going to die. That that's it. That's the end of them. Once she leaves, absolutely that's their death sentence. Right. And then there's a certain amount of power that she regains in doing that right she's like you guys are on on a fast track to inevitability um but i have agency here i'm not beholden to you just because you you know because you're the men in this relationship i'm not beholden to you because of anything else it's like i was along for the ride and uh i get to decide when i get off that ride well and she exactly and she's you know she's part of the uh, several robberies we get the sense and she probably goes home with with some money in her pocket you could view this right. as you know, she gets away with it. She she goes home. She she's wealthier than she was before. She had some fun, and she knew when to get out. Is there a, a tweak that you would make to this movie to improve it? Um, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's because it is so. There's so much more to it, right? I mean, I don't know that there was a a. a point where i was like oh maybe a little more of this or a little less of that because i think i think the whimsy works i think the ending works um maybe the blood doesn't need to be so red but i think that's also just Mm -hmm. the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) um i don't know it's 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 pretty solid how about you i think that there's probably a dozen things that you could do to make a better filmmaking choice right I think it's sort of like, do you mm-hmm. want this to be so dated? Do you want this to be forever 1969? Mm. Or do you want to make a film that will last for the next hundred years? I think there's a dozen, mo- you know, things like that that you could do. But that's a that's a hindsight critique that you could give almost any Maybe. film. Maybe. Right? I mean... I mean, it's if you're if you're trying to make a movie during a specific time frame that that is maybe a critique of that time frame, um, and then on top of it, you're like, and I need it to also anticipate, an you know another cultural shift that may come after this one. Um, then it feels like maybe maybe you're getting a little ahead of your skis, right? Because now you're 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 sort of or you just say I'm going to tell the truth about what this time period was like. I'm going to be as authentic as I can. Mm-hmm. So so no matter when what decade this being is being viewed, people are not thinking about 1969. They're thinking about 1888. Right. Um. But here's what I was going to say. Even though there was a, a dozen of those things in this film. 
I feel like I've fallen in love with all of the the quirks, and so I don't think I would I would change anything. Well, and, and there's something too about film, and this is an interesting thing with our you know right now. I think film watching is is a different animal because like the very fact that we kind of start this thing off with does this particular scene hold up under the you know the new information we have as a, as a society whether it has to do with rape culture whether it has to do with uh you know just anything patriarchal or, or whatever we might be going through socially at the at the time and I, I mean i think we've done that in the past but i think probably never as much as we are doing it right now um so if, i mean a film you know in many ways, for a film to work, it probably can't hold up, right? I mean, it's what is what is the job of, of film? What is the job of, of art? In many times, in many cases, like you're you're kind of echoing the time, you're echoing the 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 experience that's happening then, and so you're caught up in the like in this case, like I said, you're caught up in a cultural shift that's very unique to 1969, and so you're making some bold choices that we can appreciate those bold choices now and then to take another level of and say well but does it hold up in 2022 it's like i don't know if that's i don't know if that's fair right and i think you almost want it to sort of live as a as a time mm-hmm. capsule as a snapshot right and it's a it's a snapshot of that cultural shift and it says and that and that's the thing about cultural shifts is uh they rarely complete and say <laughs> all done um we you, you know, we as a society are constantly shifting and constantly evolving. So these little uh, timestamps are kind of kind of important to see where we were, kind of what we were doing to address them, to move forward, and then to know that. And yeah, and then that didn't solve it, right? There's still these moments where you can say, yeah, and that's also maybe a little problematic. You know, we that's the thing about the idea of progress is it's uh, it's it's an action verb, right? It's 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 rarely is it right. a past tense. What do you think about the decision not to use subtitles? Uh, yeah, that that really uh, was interesting to me because I think it helped. It helped me. Like, I get the gist, right? Like, I think it was a lot of the the, the conversations where I don't uh, speak Spanish, but I, I, I kind of got... You knew what was going on. And I think it put me in the same boat as them. It, like, it yeah. made me um, feel... Feel it made me feel like I was also like up against it to some degree because that's the whole thing. You were a foreigner at a disadvantage. Yeah, right? and that's what they're they're even trying to rob this bank and they can't even tell people what to do. <laughs> and so, and then, and then to not have to not know what the other people are going, they kind of I don't know. It put me in that situation as a yeah, viewer that was kind of uh, added added to my appreciation of the tension. It's all of a sudden you feel like they're at a distinct disadvantage. And and it it is a little bit disorienting. Yeah, and you don't have now. You don't have to have someone explain to you why it's uh-huh. a disadvantage to them because you're experiencing it right there. So it's like okay, now like you know. So when like when um, uh, movies do something, there's an explosion, and now you don't hear as well. And so then you're watching through their point of view, and you get like mm-hmm. sort of like this ringing, and then you don't hear what the person is saying. Like those are really you know effective moments to kind of give you a sense of what they're going through. But this does it, I think, on a on a different level because even scenes where you're not going through their point of view or or even seeing them at all, you don't know what's being said, and and I think it just brings you in as as a viewer, uh, just in a different way. Like in a, maybe you know a more you're more engaged. Maybe you actually feel like you're a part of of the story at that point. I think I realized for the first time on this viewing that Butch is not. A bank robber. I think he's a con man. Mm. 
who happens to rob banks, you know, from time to time, I feel like he's conned everyone. You get to that scene at the end where they're going to, they know that they're going to have to kill the Bolivians who've just taken the payroll. Mm -hmm. And Butch has to tell Sundance, he's like, there's something I got to tell you, kid. I've never killed anyone before. And it's kind of a funny moment because, you know, Butch is annoyed or, or Sundance is annoyed, you know, that... I got the sense here that Butch has conned everyone, including Sundance. Right. He told Sundance he knew how to speak Spanish, that he knows what's going on in Bolivia. He he's basically conned Sundance into thinking that he's he's a he's a bank robber. He's not. He's never shot anyone any you know before. Um, he's conned most of the sheriffs and the brothel owners and pretty much everyone into liking him. He's, you know, he's probably a sociopath right? in real life who just has a, a great smile and can basically talk his way into these situations where he takes advantage of people. Um, and maybe I'm reading a little bit too much of the sting into this, but I do think that there's something there. Yeah, I know. I, I think so, too, because I, 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 I felt the same way when he reveals that he hasn't shot anybody it's like well we we've seen these guys as pretty close right i mean yeah right we we've seen a few adventures and we assume there were many that preceded it you think that would have come up and the fact that it didn't come up shows that one it shows that he does all these things without ever needing to shoot anybody uh-huh and yeah, he cons and, them he cons woodcock into making you know making right. woodcock think that he's you know he's gonna shoot this old lady and of course it's all a ruse and it reveals that a couple of things, right? One, we don't know if he even has the stomach to shoot. Mm-hmm. And and if he doesn't have the stomach to shoot, no matter, I'll get these guys that in this particular situation, I'm smarter than to do this for me. So that that could be, you know, there's not a lot of time to unpack that from a, a Butch and Sundance perspective because they're kind of up against it. But but that is sort of embedded in there. It's like, so so who is this guy? <laughs> and and I And I think a movie made today on this story might might explore that a little further might mm-hmm. might take take that revelation and do a little bit more uh, with the complication of of the relationship between the two men as as they are even even if they're headed towards sort of an inevitable demise um because it is a pretty rich uh revelation and it and it reveals a lot about their you know, they're like, what else don't I know? And what mm-hmm. else don't I know about what, like, and why would I think that, why would I assume that you had, did he specifically lie about it? Or is it just, wow, you've been doing all this and you've, yeah, that's right. You haven't been doing any of this heavy lifting on, on that. That's right. In that regard. You don't have to live with anybody's blood on your hands, mm-hmm. you know, directly. So you, you are, you're a, you, no wonder you have a little more maybe whimsy in your life <laughs> because you're not wrestling with murder. <laughs> Yeah, he's gotten he's talked everyone else into doing the dirty work. Um, I want to talk about the way this ends, right? So, you know, iconic ending. Um, they're basically trapped. They're relieved that it's not Lafors after them outside. It's the entire Bolivian army, mm. and uh, they they go out shooting, right? They they, they die bloody. In the same way that uh, you know Sheriff Bledsoe told him he would, they were going to do, and yet there's a 
there's a choice to freeze frame them as they're running with their guns blazing, right? Right. So you hear, you know, you basically hear the gunshots. So you know that they're going to die, and yet you never visually see them die. Mm -hmm. So the final image of the movie is, and it goes to sepia, and it, it sort of, it glorifies these two personalities and you sort of the it's it's a choice to glorify these two outlaws in a way that i that almost betrays the film hmm. um because you don't see them die and so they're kind of immortalized you know the freeze frame in your mind for the rest of eternity these two guys are heroic do you think it, this is a bad ending, given the the general tone of the film? No, because it feels to me like that's you know the way the way the way we're reading it as being sort of this uh, you know taking um, these these tropes, taking these cliches, and sort of turning them upside down. I think there's a bigger critique that happens here at the end, right? It's like, yeah, we're saying your time is over, but guess what? We're never going to shed this skin. Mm. Like it almost feels like we've given you a glimpse, we've we've, we've showed you something different, um, but at the end of the day, uh, this these legends, these legends of of this type of of life will live on. Hmm. You could make the argument that there's also a sense of of hope that goes into it, right? Like we don't we don't know do they survive? Do they not survive? You know, there's there's a lot of ways to to read it. I mean, I, I think their death is is completely inevitable and based on what we're seeing um yeah i think logically they're dead but spiritually they they're immortalized by that final scene you know right and so so you could you could look at it a couple ways like you could look at it as again like there's a there's an inevitability we're never really going to shed the skin like i said or you could that way you look at it as like well now that you've seen something different let's immortalize that Mm-hmm. let's let's oh, uh let's create a new legend based on the new information we have like mm-hmm. what you know i mean it's, let let them be representative of, of that change perhaps you know and it, it, yeah it, it, it's crazy because i i think i don't think the movie i don't think you can make this movie work without that ending personally it's interesting when we were talking about uh tarantino earlier it's a little bit in a different kind of way but it is a little bit like the ending of pulp fiction where you know Travolta's dead, as far as sort of the chronology of the timeline, Tra- Travolta dies in a bathroom on a toilet, right? Mm-hmm. But because Tarantino's playing with time the way that he does, the last thing that the viewer sees, it's Jules and Vincent walking out of that diner, you know, very much alive, very much still playing the game. And so. There's a difference between what the audience member knows logically and the way that they feel at the end of the film. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I get that because, like you said, like there almost was prophetic to some degree, right? We 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 are told where they're gonna, you know, that they're gonna die just yeah by the nature of their lifestyle. And for the so first here, time in the film, we know something that they don't know, and that is right. The entire Bolivian army is is pointing their guns at that doorway, right? Yeah, th- yeah. So that's that's another take on it too, right? It's like so they don't know how dramatically outnumbered they are, but they do know they're outnumbered. I believe. 
Well, they're still they're planning for the next thing. They're they're talking about Australia. Right. They're they're it's it's a perfect it's the perfect final conversation. Great idea where we should go next. Well, I don't want to hear it. Change your mind when I tell you. Shut up. Okay, okay. Your great ideas that got us. Forget about it. I don't ever want to hear another one of your ideas. All right. All right. Okay. Australia. I figured. Uh... Secretly, you wanted to know, so I told you. Australia. That's your great idea. Oh, boy, it's the latest in a long line. Australia's no better than here. Oh, that's all you know. <coughs> Name me one thing. They Name speak English thing. in Australia. They do? That's right, smart guys, so we wouldn't be foreigners. Sundance is so done with these schemes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And Bush is like, and, and he's explaining to him why Australia is a is a, is a reasonable alternative, <laughs> and he's totally full of shit because of course they're going to be foreigners in Australia, but he you know he's trying to convince them we're not going to be foreigners there. They speak English, um, and, and then he says, "Look, I know you said you didn't want to know, but I thought secretly you you did want to know, so I I told you right up to the very end. They're they're true to these their characters right up until the very end. Yeah, and 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 from just a, like from a straight." you know, maybe uh, storytelling perspective and, and like maybe like take out some of the, the critiques that we were, you know, suggesting are, are part of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. of the cultural shift and look at it from a storytelling perspective. Um, this movie doesn't set itself up in such a way where you want to watch your heroes die, right? Like you, you don't want to <laughs> right. see these guys die. No, like you, you love these guys. You, you've loved them for the last two hours, right? Right. And you know, and you know that they have to die and you know that they're going to die and that's enough, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's like to, to add the, now we get to watch them get gunned down, um, would feel a little odd. Okay. Before I ask you, before I ask you the Ron Howard question. I'm going to ask you this. I know that you're not a big fan of Westerns. Did you like this movie? I did. And I didn't, I'll be honest, when I was going through the rewatch, because of my weird relationship with it before, um, I wasn't sure that I was going to be super into it. And I wasn't, I mean, initially I was like, I, I was appreciating every little scene. Um, and then I'd have moments where maybe I would kind of like, go, all right, that's, you know, maybe a little long in that particular sequence, mm-hmm. but then I'd get back into it. And um, the same way with the sort of the early reviews, right? Like I think the early reviews, and we were talking about this, I think with another, some other films that like get, they get better reviews later, right? Upon, you know, rewatch. Um, I think when I was younger and watching, I watched it mm-hmm. as a straightforward Western and didn't really know what to think, right? Is this, is this movie who's made solely to get my mom torqued up, or is this is this? Uh... <laughs> and the answer might be yes. Yeah, and the answer, I mean, and, it, and, it, and that's why it functions on so many levels. Um, but but knowing, you know, coming coming into it now, knowing the parts that would have seemed weird, knowing that they're there, and knowing and watching movies differently than I did when I was younger, um, you know, then I start looking at like, okay, so what what purpose does this serve? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that 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 helped my uh, I think overall experience of watching it. Hmm. hmm. So Steve, is this uh, better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? I think it's a Ron Howard plus two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of it is at some points I felt like it was properly Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, like I could see Ron Howard having some fun with this type of thing, but I don't. But I think the 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 two distinct differences that would make it uh, over 
a, a typical like Howard joint is the threesome and the way that that was managed in the way that it was just a matter of fact. And, and I think the ending, I think the ending, I don't think, I don't think you're going to get that kind of ambiguity from a Howard film at the end. So I feel like, you know, we were talking about like the difference between the logical moves and the spiritual moves of this film. Mm -hmm. I think logically this is a properly Howard film. Mm -hmm. I think for me, spiritually, this is like a Howard plus 10. Mm. So I think I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to say Howard plus five. And I'm just going to note that I don't think Howard does the sort of metacritical move of taking a genre and interrogating the the genre in such a way that makes you think, is this exact, is that what, am I watching this or that? Gotcha. Is there a half the battle one to grow on? Um, you know, I mean, I, I it's an interesting that that one I kind of wrestled with too because I feel like stay out of trouble, you know. <laughs> Saints well, kids. Yeah, going back uh, to the little speech by by the sheriff, I think again in in a very nineteen sixty nine move, I think you could take a very sort of peacenik view on this: mm-hmm. live by the sword, die by the sword, right. And I think that that could be the the one to grow on moment. Like this is how you how it ends if you live by the gun, right? And, yeah, and, and interesting. It could have been a, a different tale too about like them sort of like if they, they you could have still had a a, a time sensitive story if if the emphasis was they're taking from corporations they're taking from you know what i mean it's like like more of a robin hood way but they they're they're in it for them there's a certain selfishness there's a there's a violence there's Mm -hmm. a machismo to their life that has an expiration date sure sure i was also gonna say but another way you could look at this is if you're gonna go to bolivia learn a little bit of spanish right you know, it, it makes yeah. robbing banks so much easier. Just learn yeah. a little bit of Spanish. Yeah, like when I opted to take French because all of my friends were taking Spanish, and I was kind of like, I'll probably just figure out Spanish. Um, <laughs> and then now I still don't speak Spanish, and I still don't speak French. <laughs> my my son is going into high school, and he's just chosen to take French. Yeah, it's gonna be great for him. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> if I were to go to France right now, like in my, if my family would say, hey, let's go to France, I would be the best French-speaking person in my family. And the only thing I could say is, I am not a supermarket. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's going to be very helpful. Um, I also know how to say, I am a pineapple. Well, one of those is a lie. <laughs> yeah. Unless in France, pineapple denotes like a particular kind of sexual position. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like this. They don't use tops and bottoms. <laughs> use bananas and pineapples. I think it's a pineapple if I've ever seen one. Oui. Je suis un nanana. I love this movie. I could talk about this movie for hours. This is just... Of for my own pleasure that I've foisted this upon you and all of our listeners, and so I thank you 
for indulging me. Yeah. And as a reminder to our listeners, this what we we each chose at the beginning of the season um, a variety of movies based on on uh, criteria that Anthony put out, and uh, we were each to pick a non like horror genre film. And this yeah, was which what did you choose? I I forget. Um, I think Teen Wolf. It might have been Teen Wolf, right? Um, it wasn't fully in in it wasn't non horrific. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, it's a werewolf movie that doesn't play itself for horror. <laughs> One more thing about this movie that I think is brilliant. Most of the time, my little rule is an action adventure movie or a superhero movie or who, wh- whatever kind of movie we're talking about that has good guys and bad guys. In general, my rule is that the film is only as good as the bad guy is compelling. Mm. You could make the argument that the big baddie in this film is Mr. E.H. Harrelman, the railroad magnate, Mm. who is never, never shows up in this film. He hires men to chase him, but you never see the men close up, right? Right. These guys are on the run from something. It's like it's like the never-ending story where the nothing is chasing them. Never seen the never-ending story. It's it's the rumor. Oh, you never. <laughs> God, we need to watch that. <laughs> that was the big reveal in oh this podcast. <laughs> we need. We absolutely need to watch the never-ending story. These guys are on the run from something you can't see. And I guess, you know, maybe they're on the run from progress, right? You know, railroads Mm -hmm. represent progress or something like that. But usually with a film like that, you need a compelling bad guy. You need that. And in the end, it's E.H. Harrelman is is not even in the in the equation. It's the Bolivian army that's in the equation. Yeah. So in that way, it sort of breaks one of my little film rules. And I don't seem to mind. It could be that the ultimate villain in this movie is hubris. Maybe maybe it's being too handsome. Oh, yeah. What, in the end, it's like, look, you what can't... What a burden. No one, no one can be that handsome. There's a price to pay. You can, if you're that handsome, you're going to die bloody. There's just no other way about it. <laughs> I like I like that you liked it. I was prepared for you to not not to like it. I was kind of prepared, to be honest, too. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. And then I'm like, and I know Anthony really likes it, so this, this, could, this podcast could get weird. What, yeah, I, like I think it would have worked fine if you didn't like it. It would have just been a different kind of podcast. And there's enough funny things to talk about that, that could have made it work. But I, in the end, at the end of the day, it touches me a little bit. I feel a little warm sensation <laughs> that you like this movie. When I... When I put this movie on both Nessa and Sarah were in the room and I said look here's what you could do you could leave the room go live your lives or you could sit here with me and watch me enjoy one of my favorite films and they both kind of patted me on the head (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. My, I think my daughter said, you're cute, and left the room. Yeah, I can't wait to try to have to convince Heather to watch Golden Child. <laughs> oh, are we, I forgot we were doing Golden Child. <laughs> Should we do Golden Child uh, next? I'll be down. I'll be down for some Golden Child. Um, okay, Golden 
I believe that one is streaming. It was streaming on Amazon for a while. So. All right, Golden Child next. This is, uh, in case you're confused by other films by the same name, this one stars Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And, and Charles Dance. Charles Dance of Tywin Lannister fame. All right, so next week, The Golden Child. Yeah. Is it the, is there a definite article? Is it the? Yeah, it's The, the Golden, Golden Child. Child. Just any. No, no. Yeah, not just run of the other. <laughs> not Golden Children. <laughs> credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.